Third song. Is yeah. that coming from your end? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this will be a thing, I'm afraid to say. Um, no, that's great. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Informed. Uh, great to have you with us today. I'm with Matt Fell, and we're going to be talking about the Trinity. How are you doing, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm very well, Simeon. Very well. Good. We've just been admiring the bird song coming from outside your window. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm i on the, the top floor of our house, and there's a tree. I mean, it's like half a metre away from me, the branches, and birds populate it. And sing to me all day long. I feel like a Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, let's let's dive straight in. Uh, we're going to talk about the Trinity. Um, mm. This is uh, a massive part of Christian theology, isn't it? But one that um, uh, certainly I know that I went through a lot of my Christian life not having thought very much about. Yeah, same for me. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Probably because in the types of churches that we belong evangelical churches you know where we feel like where we love we love scripture and our doctrine is primarily taken from scripture rather than tradition as all good doctrine should be may i just affirm yeah uh, we, we I, yeah I, I i think it's probably probably that that the trinity introduces some ideas that you know, explicitly aren't found on the pages of scripture. Um, and so it does take you into the realms of church history and the development of doctrine and whatnot. So I think there's probably some, that's probably a part of why. Um, we don't tend to say formal liturgies, so we're not reciting the Apostles' Creed, you know, every Sunday. Um, and so because of because of that, you know, it, it depends on whether... Um, our songs mention the Trinity and whatnot, and, and I think also it's, it's it's one of those parts of the doctrine of God where our we find our our reason, our reasoning capacities are up against something that is beyond us, yeah. above our above our usual pay grade. Um, yeah. and that's quite challenging um, and slightly disorientating. And I think in the modern world, the evangelical church, you know, really feels a sense of we need to communicate the gospel clearly. And we want to, you know, we want to see revival. We want to see folks come to know the saving message of Jesus Christ. And and so the Trinity, I think, just perhaps by no fault of our own, becomes a kind of complicated thing for mature believers rather than an important you know, the underlying truth that makes the gospel good news in the first place, mm. which, which is historically how, you know, what the church thought. Okay, so why is that? If, if, you, don't have a, if you don't have a solid doctrine of the Trinity, what do you lose? Oh, goodness, everything, everything, um, even though you might not think that first. Yeah. Um, you lose the divinity of Jesus um, and the, the, the saving power of his life, death, and resurrection. Yeah. Uh, you lose something of the go- the fullness of the personal nature of God, and 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 
you lose that which historically the church has considered to give shape to the expression God is love. Um, mm. And uh, much more beyond that. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's just hit the God is love thing in a nutshell. The idea there is that a God who is one person can't be loving till he's created something to love. So he can't be loving and in, 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 in and of himself, he's dependent on his creation. Yeah, yeah. So who, so uh, a solitary God, who, who is that God loving before the creation of anything? Um, yeah. Himself? Um, well, if, if he is solitary and lonely, then that is, that's an inward-looking love. Whereas the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit... Um, there is a sense in which that is God loving himself, that is God loving God, but it's a, a love that is that is that moves out, that is looking outwards uh, beyond mm. itself. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. So before we go too much further, we should um, attempt like a, a, a concise statement of the doctrine of the Trinity. Do you want to have a stab at that? Gosh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I, I, I think the good thing is we've had um, 2,000 years of, of theologians, you know, of faithful men and women who have gone before us to think this through. So uh, I, I, would, I would want to point to the, the Nicene Creed as probably the best um, statement of, you know, of the Trinity. So uh, I won't recite all of it, but the, the key ideas um, that... Our God is, is, is Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, that God is this, this tri-personal life. Um, that God, God is, is three persons who are distinguishable, Father, Son, and Spirit, who, who are consubstantial who share one life, they are one substance, one being. Um, and I realise as soon as I say that, you know, I can, I can hear the listeners of Inform switching off one by one. That <laughs> 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 was very dusty, doesn't it? I mean, what on earth? I said consubstantial, goodness. Um, but that, that dusty language is the effort of the church to secure things which are vitally important yeah um to, so what sorry go what on, we're sorry. saying what we're saying is that in a sense god is not one person um he's not three separate persons mm -hmm. like essentially what he is is a three-in-one being yeah so he's, he's not just three he's not just one he is three in one and that's a different kind of thing to any things we know of around us yeah absolutely we we can't really think of anything which um is one yet three um it, it, it's a that would be a kind of contradiction define logic but but with the god of the bible who is who is life himself who is fullness of being the one from whom everything comes we see this this life which it, we see well yeah we see these this this drama as it were which has these three 
players to it, father, son and spirit, all of whom are emphatically God, presented to us as God in Scripture, and yet God is one. And so the life of God is the relationship between these three, um, which is not to say that the kind of one plus one plus one equals what God is. It's that God is this this relationship of Father, Son and Spirit. Mm. And when we try and get a handle on how that works, would it be fair to say this is an area where we're safer denying things than affirming things? In, in, you know, so, for example, yeah. um, we might want to we want to deny that um, that any of the persons of the Trinity are less than fully God. Um, we want to deny that they are a third of God each, yeah. for example. Um, and we want to deny that they are um, just different ways of revealing the same single. They're not different modes of revelation of the same single entity yeah um yeah it's not that uh, god sometimes has a father day uh, but yeah. other days he has a sunday and then yeah on thursdays he's feeling particularly spirity um yeah no we, we deny that yeah so it's not ice water and steam sometimes mm-hmm. one sometimes the other yeah um and you can <laughs> you can sort of start to sort of say these things that well, it's not that and it's not that and even if you can't what what you're left with is almost like the silhouette of well it must be something roughly like this because i know it's not a not b not c and not d so okay i'm not quite sure what it is but i can i can begin to see the shape by seeing what it's not yeah i mean it would probably be useful to say all all of this flows from the revelation of god in scripture yeah um so if you go back to when God reveals himself to Moses um, and speaks the divine name um, to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am, is how God reveals himself to Moses. Mm-hmm. And that, that moment is uh, definitive for everything else which comes in scripture. You know, so if you, oh, I've been, I've been noticing this recently. I'm reading a, a couple of Psalms a day. And just again and again, the psalmist is praising the glory of the name of the Lord, mm. pointing back to that, that key revelation to Moses. Um, I am who I am. And in that moment, God is kind of, he's communicating something to Moses, something positive, but he's also kind of, I like to think of it if, like in the game of rugby, you know, some you've got the ball, somebody comes to run at you and you kind of, you put your hand, you palm on, you palm them off, you put your hand on their face and you push them away. There's something about the divine name, which kind of is a denial. It kind of pushes us off. Um, God says, I am who I am. In other words, God defines himself. Nothing else defines him. So, you know, if I was to, to describe you, Simeon, I'd say this is Simeon. Simeon is a white male, lives in Cambridge. I'm, I'm using things that we can hang our understanding of you on, whereas God denies all that to Moses. Um, he says, I am who I am. And so there, there is something, there's, throughout scripture, there's this un, unknowability of God, and it's, it's there bound up in the, you know, um, 
shall make you, you shall not make idols, graven images. You shan't bow down to them. Um, and so, you know, and God says again and again, my thoughts are not your thoughts and mm. things like that. So there is this kind of unknowability to God. There's this, this, we just have to, we approach him by denying things. He's not like the image of anything else in creation. He's not like this. He's not like that. Um, but then there's also things that scripture positively emphatically says to us yeah. uh, that he is the creator of all of heaven and earth. Um, he is the, you know, the rock of Israel. He's to be depended on, you know, he's the one who answers prayer. Um, and he's the one who sends Jesus Christ into the world for our salvation, who Jesus refers to as father and Jesus then himself in his life and his teaching and the things that he does claims that same identity as God. Maybe we should unpack this a bit more in a minute too. Yeah. Um, and then, Likewise, scripture will say things about the spirit that so you you've got this in scripture, you've got this it's almost like a dance, or we're kind of brought caught up in this dance of there's things we have to deny about God, and there's things that we have to say, this is who he's revealed himself to be. And the understanding of the Trinity is is the church trying to negotiate those tensions um that that scripture gives us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's great. I'm sure I I may have uh, overstated the case for um, denials. Um, there's obviously loads. No, no, I, I don't think you did, Simeon. I don't think okay. you did. I think the denial. It's technically it's called apophatic theology. Sometimes it's called negative theology, yeah. where you um, it's it's this. It's like a it's the habit. It's the biblically informed habit of not letting of just being cautious i think about how we speak about god um not you know we have to talk we have to use our language you know mm. we have to say god's you know to communicate god's trustworthiness you know his unchanging character his reliability we have to call him something just call him a rock that that but but at the same time there's lots about god that is very unrock like you know into yeah. the, a lifeless lump um and so the 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 apophatic that that negative the denials is always a part of our theology mm. um of biblical theology at least because you know we're we're got to say the bible god wants us to talk about him he wants us to know about him but he also he wants us to have a mature knowledge of him, not a kind of um, just reading it off the paper. You know, God's like a rock. We ha we still have to think about what that means, meditate on it. Yeah. So if we're looking in scripture for um, the Trinity, we're not going to find that word. Um, could you take us to, you know, two or three important biblical texts? Mm. there's probably two two roots to that so there there's passages which will mention all three um and we could we could go there straight away that would be lovely but i i think i'm i think it's probably better to build up a little bit of logic 
the kind of so you know so we could let me give you an example so at the end of two corinthians um paul gives the blessing uh blesses the the fun bunch at corinth um and um May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You know, you could go to a passage like that. Um, yeah. Or you could go to, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, um, in which he says there's one God, one Lord, one Spirit. And the spiritual gifts that the church have all come from the three but they're the, it's the one source of all those spiritual gifts in the church. So you could look at passages like, like that. Um, but when Paul does that, he's, he's articulating something that he's making explicit, something that's already there in the gospel story. And I think it would probably be best to unpack that first. Um, as the kind of to, to see Trinity in scripture. Yeah. Um, so we've already talked about God's revelation of himself to Moses. Um, I am who I am, the divine name, Yahweh. That's what English translation of Yahweh is. I am who I am. The one who defines himself, who Moses learns is the creator of all things. See Genesis one. Um, who is not to be, you know, who then at Mount Sinai enters into covenant relationship with his people and, and says to them, you know, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make graven images of me or bow down before idols. Um, and so God is this is the, the unique source of all things. He's not to be confused of any any part of creation and not to make any idols of him that that then gets summarized in deuteronomy um in chapter six moses teaches the israelites a prayer that's known as the shema um and it's it was prayed i think three times a day by devout jews um hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one and then you shall love the lord your god with all your heart or your soul and of all your mind. So that that is the kind of pithy creed of the people of Israel. That the Lord is their God, Yahweh, who revealed himself to Moses, is their God. He is one. One. Unique, not to be confused, not one of a kind. Uh, he is the, the sole source of all things in creation. He defines himself. That's that's just axiomatic in Jewish thinking. That's like, that's who God is. Um, but even in the Old Testament, there's, there's a little bit of a question about that. So God, that's how God reveals himself. That's how Moses teaches the people to pray. And yet in the Old Testament, God... Um, reveals himself in a way that 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 oneness is quite dynamic so go to the first page of genesis 
you know, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, God has this spirit um, or in various parts of scripture, you'll hear about the word of God. So the word of God comes to Abraham and talks to Abraham. Um, or there's, yeah, yeah that's, that's probably a, a good example to stick with, actually. Um, and, and again, the word of the Lord appears again and again, sometimes associated with the spirits or in some of the Psalms. Creation is kind of governed by God's word and spirit. Um, so there's this, this mystery to the life of God, the oneness of God in the Old Testament, which then becomes more explicit in the New Testament, um, where you, you, we're obviously introduced to Jesus, um, who steps onto the scene in the first century AD um, as, and presents himself as Israel's Messiah, as the one that they've been waiting for, um, but he doesn't just speak of himself as, as David's offspring. Um, there's more to Jesus's identity than that. Um, and it, this causes a lot of trouble. Um, so go to some early examples in the gospel, the, the wonderful story of the paralytic man who's brought to Jesus for healing. Um, and Jesus... Um, says to the man your sins are forgiven and he does this in front of a crowd and the pharisees are there and they say whoa only god can forgive sins um and in their mind the kind of the economy of forgiveness happens through the temple and all of that and they're in charge of that so they feel very proud about that but here's this man away from the temple saying your sins are forgiven how how does he have the authority to do that? He says, well, to show you the kind of authority I have, say to you, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. And they say, only God can forgive sins. Who is this man? Or you, other instances like the when Jesus is asleep in the boat and the storm rages, um, Jesus then wakes up and tells the storm to, to be still. And the storm is still. And according to the, the Jewish imagination, well, informed by scripture, it's only Yahweh, it's the Lord who can command the elements, who commands creation. Um, who is this man? Um, is what they say, isn't it? And so Jesus presents himself as... So I, I sometimes talk to the ID students about the God of the Old Testament having a, a unique CV. Um, there's certain things that only God does. Rule creation, um, forgive sins, give life to the dead. And Jesus says, that I, I share that identity. I do those things. Um, and so Jesus presents himself to us as the embodiment of Israel's God. The word become flesh, as John's prologue says. But then he also prays to his father in heaven. Um, he teaches a doctrine of God, that God is father, uh, the father who has sent him into the world uh, to, to fulfill his ministry and lay his life down. And he trusts that the father has given him authority to bring himself back from the grave, to raise his life back up. And then look at a moment like the baptism of Jesus, which is probably 
one of the clearest places to go and look for the doctrine of the Trinity in all of Scripture. Um, Jesus, at the start of his ministry, goes into the, the waters of the Jordan to be baptised by John. The heavens open above him um, and an audible voice is heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Um, and so you have this moment where this mysterious life of God kind of hinted at in the Old Testament is, is there present to the world. Um, the father who sent the son, the son who's incarnate and the spirit who comes upon him to help him fulfill his ministry. Um, you see the, the three interact like that. And then there's various points in the life of Jesus where you, you have a real intimate look into that, into the relationship between the three. Um, so some of Jesus's prayers would be the obvious place to go to. So there's a bit in Luke 10. In that same hour, he, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Um, and he goes on, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Um, so you have this, this moment where Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. So you've got the relationship between the son and the spirit there. And he prays to the father um, and he says that the father has given him all authority and that Jesus is the one who reveals the father and the father reveals who Jesus is. There's this kind of sharing, this reciprocity. Ooh, there we go. That sounds good. <laughs> the two of them uh, where, and that's, that's a, that's a, an outrageous thing to say on Jesus's part um, that he, his father reveals him and then he reveals the father um who is he to do such a thing um or of course in john's gospel me and my me and the father are one jesus says in, in john 10 mm. and when he says that they pick up stones to, to kill him um and then john 11 jesus's prayer um on the night when he's betrayed gives a a, a, a very profound insight into the the life of father and son where again he, he speaks of him and the father being one he prays let let they the disciples be one even as we are one he speaks about the father having sent him into the world in the first place um talks about the glory um that he had with the father before the foundation of the world the love that the father had for him before the foundation of the world um, you have this picture of the relationship that Jesus has predating his birth and being one of the father giving him glory um, and love. And, you know, the God of the Old Testament does not share his glory with another. Um, and yet here the father is sharing Jesus is confident that the Father sharing his glory, the Father's glory with the Son. Wow. It's easy just to like read that passage as a Christian and be like, 
water off a duck's back. Um, but to sort of have it, have you put it like that in the context of the Old Testament, it's quite striking, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so all these passages in the life of Jesus have to be read in the context of the, the Old Testament doctrine of God. <clears throat> that God is, is the one source of all things, unique identity, and yet Jesus repeatedly makes the claim that he shares in that identity mm. whilst not exhausting it. But the Father also shares that identity, and so does the Spirit. So the Spirit, uh, again, John's Gospel is very helpful for this, that it's the Spirit who makes the Father and the Son present to the disciples after Jesus has descended. So um, Jesus says, me and my Father will come and make our home in you, says this to the disciples, and he says that in the context of the Spirit being sent. And so the presence of the Spirit is the presence of the Father and the Son. Mm. Um, you know, and, and Jesus says, the Spirit will take what is mine and will share it with you. Um, and so later theologians would say, well, you know, how can the Spirit, how can the Spirit give what is not his to give? Um, this is the kind of the logic there that just as the, the son is one with the father and therefore can reconcile us to the father, the spirit is one with the father and the son, therefore can share what is theirs with us. Okay. Yeah. Um, so perhaps I could get you to talk a bit more about the three persons um, and, and how they're distinguished from one another. Uh, because they they are aren't they yes yes they are distinguishable um and the, it's there in scripture um the father sends the son um and the son uh and the and the father together send the spirit into the church um there is a a order in their relationships, even though there is this in, this inseparable identity, oneness that holds the three together. Um, and again, this is this is a tension there in Scripture that that the late the church's later Trinitarian theology is looking back and trying to hold these things in tension and to find concepts words ideas that hold those things in the right tension together without squashing things um so yeah maybe maybe it'd be just helpful to say you know so the, the word trinity doesn't appear in the bible um as far as we know it's first um termed by a north african theologian called tertullian in the second century third century i think he's in the third century um, so 200 years later, after the, mm. the death of Christ. Um, and the, the idea has been expressed before. So, Well, you were, you were quoting 1 Corinthians earlier, one of the, like, the earliest New Testament texts we've got one of. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. So from Paul onwards, Christians are, are speaking of the three persons as the, you know, the the. the all three are divine, are all three, three share this oneness. It's not until Tertullian that you have a concept to kind of bring that together, Trinity. Um, 
and and then later you have in the Nicene Creed you have the term consubstantial one being would be a, a kind of you know how you'd explain somebody in the pub <laughs> um you know that the 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 three are consubstantial they they share one being one life they are one life together mm. um so the in scripture you see this oneness but you see this order this distinctiveness the father isn't the son because it's the father who sends the son and the son refers back to the father <clears throat> and neither the father or the son are the spirit because the the son asks the father who sends the spirit um so that they're, they're referring the persons are referring outside themselves to one another um, and so the church um, tried to think how to make sense of this, and it came up with the language of processions. So a procession is a movement. It's like a, you know, if you proceed, you go forward, don't you? And so the church came up, came up with this language of, of that within the, the life of God, there are these these two processions, these two movements, as they were. Now, uh, we are, when we're talking like this, we're trying to tell a story about God. We're trying to understand the life of God, and we're, we're going to tell a story to make sense of it. But as stories, as, as they work for us, have beginning, middles, and ends, as you learned in primary school. Um, and so, so stories move through time but god is the creator of time so he we're trying to tell a story about and we're going to try to give a, a narrative about the life of god which is outside of time <laughs> and so you know we're going to have to think about our language as we go along but we've got to say something um so there's these two the church talks about these two processions these two movements within god the the first is um is the father well the, the first is the relationship between the father and son and there's two ways in scripture two scriptural ways we can come at this the first would be john one thinking about the word um so that god communicates himself god has a word has a communication in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god so, Simeon, if I described to you the best curry that I've ever had and did a really, 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 really good job of, of describing it, you might say to me, oh, Matt, it's almost as if I can taste it. Yeah, because our words, our human words of all their limitations, kind of repeat what they're referring back to, don't they? Um, if I described a beautiful sunset over the, over the cam, you might kind of picture it in your mind. God has a perfect communication of himself, a perfect word that is such a perfect communication of everything that God is, that the word is with God and is God. So there's this movement of, of the word from the Father, the perfect communication, God from God, um, is the language of the creed, uh, and also that wonderful Christmas hymn. Um, God from God. 
But the word is also known in scripture as the son. So the relationship between the word and God and his word is also like a father and, and a son, that the son is is the chip off the old block, as it were, the 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 the, um, the yeah, the one who like in ancient understandings of family life, the one who shares the father's business, going to share all the, the values and the customs and whatnot, and will take responsibility for what is his father's. Now, again, remember, we're telling a story, stories work in time, telling a story about the, the unchanging eternal life of God. And so when we say that the father has a son, we need to we, we need to exclude all the things that we don't mean by that. Um, we have to do our negative theology, our apathetic thinking. So we don't mean that God impregnated Lady God, because that would in, that would imply two coming together. Um, we don't mean that there was a time when the sun did not exist. And the reason we rule that out is because the son is one with the father. And if God doesn't change, doesn't become something else, doesn't need something else to become what he later is, then there must never have been a time when the father was not without his son. Yeah. And so the church speak about this as, as the eternal generation of the son that the son is eternally given life from the father, that the, the son is from the father eternally, and, and there was never a moment when that wasn't the case. Mm. And so uh, Athanasius, one of the most important theologians in the formation of the, the doctrine of the Trinity in the fourth century, bit of a hero, bit of a bruiser as well, if I'm totally honest. Um, he, he argues that, you know, uh, the father is called the father because he he is always with his son. So you and I, Simeon, we're fathers, but there was a time when we weren't. Yeah. You remember when you used to be able to sleep eight hours or so at night? And yeah. The, the, God never God the Father was never without his son. He's eternally father. So Yeah. So that thing that happens in our experience as a story with the beginning, middle, and end. Yes. You, you kind of take that idea and stretch it out into eternity so it has no beginning middle and end but somehow helps us to grasp yeah the relationship between the father and the son in the trinity yes um and then there's a there's a second procession of the spirit um and scripture gives us two ways of understanding this um that of of the love of god and the gift of god um i think the gift is is the one that most helpful one to start with um and in jesus's life he refers to the spirit as the gift of god um you know pray to your father and he will give you the gift of the holy spirit um and so the father speaks his word eternally, communicates himself. So the father always has his word with him, his son, 
and looks upon his son and says, this is great. I want to share this. And so the, the father and the son that move to share all that they are. And that, that moving out of themselves, that second movement is the life of the spirit, is the gift of God, that God isn't just for himself. Um, so uh, one theologian in the 11th century, 12th century, I'm going to go 12th century uh, in Paris, uh, Richard of St. Victor. It's tricky because there's a bunch of them from St. Victor, Hugh, but I think it's Richard. He makes the point that love between two people can be exclusive. So uh, I'm enjoying getting to know you, Simeon. I think we could be good buddies. Um, but if, if our friendship uh, was just about you and I hanging out all the time, it's kind of a bit excluding, isn't it? You know, other people might feel a little bit left out and jealous um, that they don't get to hang out with you and I, because you and I just like to hang out and talk theology all the time. But if you introduce a third into that, there is a there's an opening out to share beyond exclusivity. Two can be inward looking. A third is outward looking. Um, and so the, the spirit is is the kind of is the outward lookingness of God um, mm. is God wanting to give himself as gift. And so the spirit's there in the creation story as God creates as an you know as an outward overflow of his own self-sufficiency yep um and the spirit's there in um mission and the spirit's there in the church and in the incarnation and yeah 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 yeah. so if you think about it yeah like in the in the gospel god sent so loved the world he sends his son to die for us but god doesn't just want us to kind of look back at that and think about it god wants us to experience the gift of that in the depth of our beings of a spirit is poured into our lives to share the love of god romans 5 mm. it's the spirit who is the love of god poured into our hearts um yeah and so these processions these two movements help us distinguish the three and the order between them whilst holding that they're one at the same time. Um, and so we have to tread a very careful line here because we're saying that the father eternally gives life to the son. Um, but there is nothing that the father possesses that the son doesn't share in with the exception of being the father. Right. Okay. So everything that the father has, the son has, apart from the fact that the son is the son, he's not the father. He's from the father eternally and one with him. And the same, same with the spirit. There's nothing that the father and son have that the spirit likewise does not possess, except being father or son. <laughs> mm. Um because you still have these distinguishing moments. So you have like wonderful moments uh, in kind of Trinitarian theology throughout the centuries where people are kind of very poetically speak of, of, you know, I can't think of the one God without thinking of the three, Father, Son, Spirit. But as soon as I think of 
the three and distinguish them, I'm reminded that they are one and they share all things together. And so there's this movement back and forth. Um, and there's no, there's no like shadowy fourth element that's just generic God hiding no. behind it all. No. There's, there's no God that is not the three. Yeah, absolutely not. No. God, God is the three. Yeah. Um, and the three are God. We'll leave it there for today, but in the next episode of Informed, Matt and I go on to discuss what Matt describes as a sticky question about how the father and the son relate to each other, which has been a bit controversial in some quarters in recent years. So uh, come back next week for more on the Trinity. Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Do you know where that is? Um, I'll edit this bit of the podcast out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or at least put it in as an outtake. Um, Luke sounds right. Ten. It's ten. I was, I was a chapter off. <laughs>